Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. pheasant plucker i pluck mother pheasants i am the most pleasant mother pheasant plucker to ever pluck a mother pheasant <laughs> that was always my favorite one i love that one <laughs> tongue twisters vocal warm-ups hi everybody hi i'm vanya i'm avrin and i am the rom and i'm the crime mm-hmm. and that's right this is rom crime yes we're rom crime yes this is our true crime comedy podcast that has Romantic surprises. Ooh. And also maybe not, because this one today is... It's yuck. It's yuck. It's, it's real yuck, everybody. The, the two people at the center of it all thought it was super romantic. Yeah, there you go. There we go. So from go. the perspective of the fucking Ooh. crazies we're about to tell you about, this was a truly romantic time for them. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, I mean, not good, but... Glad we uh, snuck yeah, that we, in there. We, you know, it's romantic for them. Yeah, and our couple here uh, that we're going to talk about is from Canada. Yeah. And I see Miss Avrin. You are dressed to impress today. I inadvertently, <laughs> when I was getting ready to come over here, I threw on some jeans and then I was trying to find something to wear because it's that weird, not cold, not hot. Yes. I didn't want a sweater, but I didn't want a t-shirt. Yeah. So I threw on my jean button down. <laughs> And when I was walking out of the house, realized that I was wearing a Canadian tuxedo. Yep. Yep. And we and can say that in this house because I'm married to a Canadian. Yeah. So it's not offensive. And I love a Canadian tuxedo. I actually do too. I'm like all like jean on jean on jean. a really good look for people. Yeah. I think I look spectacular. Girl, you do. I you, mean. You do. So we'll say I did it. I must have just by. been like in my subconscious <laughs> when I was getting ready. I was like, I've been spending so much time reading about Canada that oh. my brain was just like, you know what you should wear today? Yeah. A Canadian tuxedo. Oh my gosh. I, this is like. So today, we just realized, is our 13th episode. And it's Friday the 13th when we're recording. Can you believe it, guys? So that's kind of fun. I think it's fun, too. Even though the episode won't come out until Tuesday. That's true. We are recording our 13th episode on Um, Friday the 13th. Yeah. And, um, you know, some people think it's like, uh, you know, they're superstitious and don't like this day. But I'm like, I think this is lucky. I do, too. Lucky 13th. I think Friday the 13th has all kinds of just potential for like, you know, sometimes scary stuff, but also magic. Speaking of scary, uh, we are recording in the bright daylight in That's my home. That's right. Yes, we no are. No kids are in the house. This is one of those where... Yeah. The dark makes me scared, and having the children around for this one is not okay. Yeah. Not that is, they're around. They're usually sleeping, but, like, even the potential for them to hear, you yeah, know. This is not one you want anybody under the age of, I don't know, in my brain, I'm going to say 18. Let's let's say that kids are growing up fast these days, so maybe 15? Viewer mm-hmm. discretion advised. Yes, this is a bad one. And yeah. by that, I mean it's just a truly horrific, it's horrific so, crime. It is. We're going to get into it. Yeah, we are going to get into it. So, um... This is the story of Paul Bernardo 
and Carla Homolkoff. And that'll be the comedy is listening to me attempt to say Homolkoff throughout this. Is it Homolkoff or Homolko? Or Homolka. It's Homolka. I messed up. A, it's okay. No, you know what? She's her father is from Czechoslovakia, so the off might work. But it is Homolka. Okay, You're right. Gotcha. No, no, no. See, I said I was going to say it wrong. <laughs> I'm just going to call her Carla, aka the Ken, Ken and, and Barbie, Barbie murders killers. Killers. The Ken and Barbie killers. So we've decided we're going to kind of start. We've been doing this all along. Yeah. We're naming it now. So um, we're basically going to start off. Vanya is going to take us back to the beginning. Yeah, to the beginning. To and the, the very beginning. I'm kind of doing this is because. As you well know, since I am the Rom, this crime is maybe a little bit much for me to handle. So uh, Avrin's going to take the bulk of the... Uh... I'm going to take the gross stuff. Okay, so thank you. You're welcome. I know you. Okay, <laughs> so the beginnings for Carla Leanne Homoko. She was born in 1970. She grew up in St. Catharines, which was a one of the bigger cities near Niagara Falls in Canada. She's the oldest daughter of, of three girls. And her mom was a nurse, so she worked a lot. And her his, her dad was a, a Czech immigrant, and he was a traveling salesperson. So, I mean, he may or may not have been around. Uh, probably traveled. being traveling, he traveled a lot. She had a normal childhood, as far as I could tell. You know, she had a nuclear family. Everything seemed fine. One of the only abnormal normalities that I found was that her parents let her drink and her sister drink at incredibly young age. Really? Like a very young age, like Well, I, d- I feel like, like I did read that maybe one of her parents, if not both of them, were alcoholics. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. I didn't get that one in my, but that really makes sense because it was normal. It wasn't a big deal for them to drink, uh, for her to drink. Um, Which made her super cool with the kids at school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually. So um, it said that she was like kind of a loud mouth, kind of a crazy, like she made fun of her dad with his accent. She's like, you stupid fucking, you know, like when I was little, I remember going over to some friend's house and just hearing certain kids talk to their parents and saying, fuck. And I was like, holy shit. I would have been slapped across the face. I mean, I feel like my parents would have just sobbed and been like, we raised you better than the girls. (laughs) My parents would have, well, maybe they wouldn't have slapped me across the face, but there would have been serious consequences. (laughs) I mean, but yeah, so so she was disrespectful. Right. So So she she was kind of a snotty brat. um, Yeah. Left to her own devices with with alcohol. So (laughs) she loved animals, which is kind of strange. She loves animals. And in the 10th grade, she gets a job at a pet center, which I'm assuming is like a veterinarian clinic. Right, Canada. And um, she loves the freedom of making her own money. In the 11th grade, she uh, has a boyfriend who moves to Kansas. What? Where are you from? Yeah. And she buys a plane ticket and stays there for two weeks. And this is when she loses her virginity. Oh, okay. So Mm -hmm. I did live in Kansas from, I believe, the last episode. You found out that I lived in Tucson until I was 12. And then I lived in Kansas from the age of 12 till 22 when I moved to New York. Wow. So she would have been there in the 80s. So Well, I was only there in the 90s. Okay, so but that's okay. you did not make it. I did not meet no. Carla. <laughs> we don't have any fun. I have no uh, connection. Connections there. Bummer. So uh, it is said that with her group of f- friends, like the girls, uh, she wanted to marry rich. And there was this group, they, they called themselves the um, Exclusive Diamond Club. So they're, they were like, that. yeah, they were in competition to like, who's going to marry rich first, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, she was always the bad girl in her clique. You know, there's always one who's like, will steal or do something crazy. She was the Regina George. Yes. Like the leader of the Mean Girls. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Very good reference. So one of her friends in this clique gets a a job at the pet center as well. 
and they're invited to a convention in Toronto. And I'm going to stop there with, for Carla. Okay. Yes. Perfect. I was like, because wait. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> because, and so let's do the beginnings of Paul Bernardo. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1964. He was known as a, an adorable, cute, polite kid. He had dimples. He grew up in Scarborough near Toronto. And he had a dad. His dad was named um, Ken Bernard. Bernardo. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> Camp Canada, Bernard. you guys. Ay, ay, ay. Um, who kept Paul's mother in a basement and called her it and bitch. What? Yes. He he treated her like an object. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, Paul had wow. a sister, so he, he the dad repeatedly like sexually abused the sister and would go down and have sex with the mom whenever he wanted to. But all Paul heard growing up was his mom's like, you know, a slut, a bitch, an it. Oh my God. Yeah. And kept her, kept her in the basement. I, I mean, that's insane. That is insane. So there's an abnormality of someone's there growing up. There we go. Up. That's a fucked up childhood. Yeah. Um, apparently in 1975, he became obsessed with some neighborhood little girl and- The was, dad? Yeah. And okay. the dad, sorry. And he was charged with my child molestation. So yeah, he, so Paul grew up seeing some horrific stuff. But apparently, Paul was not Ken's biological son, right? You were telling right. me that. Right. So as well. at 16, um, it comes out, I think, in the midst of some fight that Paul is having with his mom that uh, Kenneth is not his dad. In fact, he is a bastard, or her words, yeah. um, that was the product of an extramarital affair that she had. Because right. I also read, interestingly enough, that. Uh, his mother didn't want to marry Ken. She actually oh. was in love with the guy who was the biological father of Paul. Oh. But her very overbearing, like wealthy family wouldn't let her marry him because he wasn't educated or white collar enough. Oh, guys. So um, she basically never liked her her real husband. So her real husband was educated and white collar, but, but a, an awful. But a sexual predator yeah, and know. abusive motherfucker. Exactly. And so then that's when Paul started calling his mom a bitch. And openly. It, yeah. yeah. Became like openly hostile towards his mom yeah. when he found out that she was in fact in his brain, I guess, all the things that his dad had been calling her. Yeah. Which so, is just, I don't get it at all. I mean, that's just so not normal. I don't, I've never, you know, I've never gone to somebody's house and been like, well, my mom's in the basement, you know. Right, that's where she's kept. <laughs> well, the bitch is in the basement. <laughs> oh um, so some interesting facts um, post, like when he becomes like sort of closer to an adult, Paul worked for Amway and apparently mm-hmm. like he dove deep into their sales culture, which has been described as a legal pyramid scheme with high, like super high pressure sales. So they do all this training for the salespeople. Right. And it's almost like, it's almost, listen, I'm sorry if you sell Amway, please forgive me, but it has it has like a cult-like notoriety. So, uh, so many, actually, large companies that have a right. culture, yeah. so to speak. I that's think that's true. the language of the day is a culture. Yep, you're right. It's all very culty, and yeah. it's um, definitely something that I was reading that he was super, yeah. super obsessed with this Amway sales culture, yeah. and he figured out ways to use it. To in, pick up people. In all aspects and of become And be very... Um, yeah. His favorite book was American Psycho, and apparently he read it like a Bible. Mm-hmm. And that's just That's all disgusting. you need to know. Maybe we story over. <laughs> yeah. So just assume the worst. So you know what happened next. And then the wor- it was more worse. It was worse. Worse. Okay. <laughs> that's not a word, right? So that is... Uh, <laughs> that's the beginnings? <laughs> Those are the beginnings for um, Paul and Carla. And Carla. Okay. <clears throat> Again, uh, viewer discretion is advised. I also 
feel like I just want to get this out of the way because when I was researching and writing out the story, I just became so incredibly uncomfortable with how many times I had to describe what was ha- I had to describe rapes yes. happening. Right. And I kept wanting to switch the word to like sexual assault or sexual abuse. And I've decided that I'm not going to do that because no. what these people did was rape. And I right. think it actually is a disservice to call it something else, to yeah. try to make it sound less bad. Yeah. Because it was the worst, worst, worst behavior and acts committed against people that these two I mean, it was just, it's gross. So I'm just, that's my, that's my, uh, your discretion is advised. We're going to get into it, but like after researching, I'm kind of like, I'm never going to let my children out of my sight ever. Right. And I may never visit Canada. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I love Canada. Canada's great. I live there. And weirdly confusing geographically when you're not from there. Like trying to remember, I was like, I don't know shit about Canada apparently. Okay. Yes. So we're going to do it. Let's do it. So, in 1987, Paul Bernardo graduated from college and gets a job as a junior accountant at Price Waterhouse. In May of 1987, two young women are grabbed and raped after getting off of a bus late in the evening in Scarborough. And in July, when a third woman uh, escapes an attempted rape, the police in Scarborough fear they may have a serial rapist on their hands. So in October of 1987, this is what you were talking about, mm-hmm. 17, 17 year old Carla Homolka, not yeah. Homolkoff, uh-huh. Carla Homolka attends a veterinary conference in Scarborough and meets Paul Bernardo in the hotel bar where she's staying. The attraction between the two of them is described as immediate and electric and intense. And Carla and Paul end up in her hotel room having sex only a few hours after they meet. And after this sexual encounter, Paul begins to visit Carla about twice a week. Because she's in St. Catharines, mm-hmm. he's in Scarborough. So it's like an 80-mile trip. Gotcha. So it's a legit drive. And he goes down to visit her, I think, twice. It says twice a week. And they basically become boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And unlike um, all of Paul's previous girlfriends, so when they talk about his relationships before Carla, he never had relationships that lasted long because one of his favorite things to do is to demean women in public so if he would be on a date in public with his girlfriend he loved to just like demean her in public and then he was also into really like sadistic painful awful sex stuff and so most women didn't stick around after the first few encounters where they realized that this guy was a shit yeah so carla is not like other girls um so they kind of share these twisted sexual fetishes and desires and she happily submits to him as his love slave because that's his whole thing is he wants to be the master he wants to dominate someone so um she is totally into that completely encourages it and on top of all of that creepy sex stuff that they're into she also allows him to dictate and control pretty much every aspect of her life and this this really bothered me she even kept uh she called it a self-improvement list that she had written down in several different like diaries and things. Uh And I'm quoting here. So this self-improvement list said, be a perfect girlfriend for Paul. Remember you're stupid. Remember you're ugly. Remember you're fat. Save yourself. Kill them all. Whoa. So Paul, yeah. That's so crazy. You know, she she went along with him, you know, and, and he was super charismatic. Do you think 
that if she had never met him, she would have done all the atrocities we're about to talk about? I don't know. I think that I think that the two of them finding each other is a perfect example of that folio do like two people yes. with a shared delusion or sickness yeah. basically kind of they buoy and boost the other person right. and then because they're together it becomes like this pressure cooker that explodes okay. so who knows if she had never met him maybe not maybe not but clearly there's she's got some issues okay. um that's my feeling yeah. that's my no, I wanted opinion. to know what you thought and um speaking of issues the main issue in Paul and Carla's relationship is the fact that he is disappointed, disgusted, uses it against her all the time that she was not a virgin when they got together. Oh. Because that's his thing. He wants virgins. In fact, some one of his, like, fantasies was to have an island of virgins, and he was their king, and he would, like, raise them up to deflower them. He is a sick fuck. Yeah. Okay, so that was one of their biggest issues, and um, he is constantly using this as a way to, like, make her feel shitty about herself and make her fear that he's going to leave her because she's this dirty non-virgin. Mm-hmm. Now, in, so they meet in October, start their relationship. In December of 1988, the Scarborough Police Department's fears are confirmed that they do, in fact, have a serial rapist, which they've dubbed the Scarborough Rapist, um, because in December of 1988, the attacks resume on young women of the area, and at least a dozen women are raped in this like height of his, the Scarborough Rapist's right. reign of terror. In March of 1989, a task force is formed, and even though they do have a huge amount of physical evidence because like, they're able to get samples off of the women victims, oh, yeah. and they even have a composite sketch that for some fucking reason they did not share with the public. They just had it for the police. That's crazy. Well, I did hear that eventually they did because they cause right. he went we'll in. We'll right? get there. Oh, okay. well, but they, they have this in March of 89. They have a composite sketch. They have... Physical specimens from the rapist. They just don't have anybody to compare those things to. But they do have this composite. But they keep it private. That's so weird. And so basically the case kind of goes cold. They have no leads. They can't find anything. Because they know that he's... He's jumping out behind women. Right. Grabbing them from behind. Um, like they, in areas where he can pull them out or pull, like them, pull them into, into a secluded, secluded area. Yeah. But most of it's happening like women in their own backyards walking home right. from the bus station yeah. or right off getting off. I don't know. It was a really, really terrible. And we're talking women and girls. Like yeah, 19, yeah like, 15, like 15 to, to 21, yeah. I think, were the ages. So, okay, spoiler alert. Um, Paul Bernardo is the fucking Scarborough <laughs> rapist, yeah. all right? I feel like yeah. you kind of yeah, yeah, understood yeah. that I was going there. <laughs> but just in case you didn't realize it, um, Paul Bernardo was the Scarborough rapist. So there are varying accounts that suggest that Carla either had absolutely no idea when she started her relationship with him and up and through their entire relationship that he was doing these things mm-hmm. or so there she didn't know or she totally knew what he was doing and she encouraged him and I tend to lean in the second really? pocket that she knew what he was doing and she kind of encouraged him because one of the victims of the Scarborough rapist told police that a blonde woman was videotaping her assault but the police dismissed that as like a false memory based on trauma and never ever even like thought about following up come on, on that. Canada police come on Mounties there's a, also a lot of fucked up the police really, they messed up. They fumbled a lot. Um, can I, I uh, did a little research on rape because I'm kind of obsessed with why people rape. I mean, it's so complex. Like, it's right. not even easy. But there was one um, psychologist who did 
a, some, a study and he had three types. Okay. And one of them is, it's an, there's anger rapist, sadistic rapist, and then, oh wait, maybe I didn't, oh, I don't know if I put the other one. Because I think he's a f- middle of an anger and a sadistic rapist. Yeah. And what an anger rapist is, the aim of this rapist is to humiliate, debase, and hurt their victim. They express their contempt for the victim through physical violence and profane language. For these rapists, sex is a weapon to defile and degrade the victim. Rape constitutes the ultimate expression of their anger. And the rape the rapist considers rape the ultimate offense they can commit against the victim. I would definitely say that fits. Then, but also he's a total sadist. Yeah, because they talk about, you know, for sadists, their sexual association with various concepts so that the aggression and the infliction of pain is eroticized. For this rapist, sexual excitement is associated with the causing of suffering upon their victim. The offender finds the intentional maltreatment of their victim intensely gratifying and takes pleasure in the victim's torment, anguish, distress, helplessness, and suffering. Yeah, um, he was both of those things because yeah. he he definitely derived pleasure from pain like mm-hmm. and fear, right. but he also de- loved to debase and demean. One of the one things that kept coming up when all of the victims would describe yeah. their attack is that they were they were told they had to call themselves like terrible names, like slut, like bitch, yeah. like all those things that you were saying that he heard his dad call his mom yeah. growing up. So, yikes. It is just, it's so upsetting. And it's, I'm so sorry, everyone. It's just going to get worse from here. Yeah. So where was I? Oh, so I happen to think that Carla knew. There is no legitimate proof of that, I guess. But I happen to believe. the sighting of a blonde woman videotaping. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that that victim made that up. And it's so specific to these two specifically. They're blonde, hence Ken and Barbie. Um, Uh And videotaping things was a big part of of their their process yeah okay (laughs) shaking it off so finally in may of 1990 so the task force is formed in march of 89 they got nothing they have so much but they have nothing Mm -hmm. so in may of 1990 the police finally decide to make the composite sketch public and then are subsequently of course flooded with all kinds of tips so many of paul's former co-workers because this is an interesting fact. At this point, he had quit his job as a junior accountant at Price Waterhouse and was making his living smuggling cigarettes across the U.S.-Canadian border. So many of his, I don't know, I don't get so it. So weird. And was that more lucrative than being an accountant? Maybe. Perhaps. I mean, it was probably under the table, so he wasn't yeah, paying any true. taxes. that's true. Who knows? Um, but so many of Paul's former co-workers, former girlfriends, and uh, the bank teller that he would often see when he would go to the bank mm. all contacted police to tell them that the sketch, like, greatly resembled this man they knew, Paul Bernardo. Wow. But being overwhelmed with so many tips and phone calls, um, a lot of these things are overlooked. And even though eventually they do kind of sift through everything, in November of 1990, the police do finally bring Paul in for an interview. He um, even agrees to give them samples of his DNA. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that at this time, DNA isn't what it was now. Right. So most right. people probably didn't even really understand. Paul was a cocky motfucker. Yeah. And was like, sure, yeah, take my DNA. He's like, I'm innocent. I didn't Absolute. do this. Whatever and, I can do to help. And he was also so convincing to the police in this interview that not only did they, they get, they got his DNA, but they basically crossed his name off the list and they're like, this doesn't fit the type. He's successful, yeah. educated, has a serious girlfriend. 
So they take that DNA sample and they put it in a freezer with hundreds of other samples and it was it, where it's going to sit there for the next two years untested. Oh my God. Ugh. there's I mean, like so much I mean yeah. I get it they're overwhelmed there's so many possible like possibilities sure. but when you know like hindsight obviously we know like you have the guy yeah. test the damn sperm test it whatever it was yeah I'm pretty sure that's what they had was like semen samples Ugh. so in 1990 after all that um, Paula Paula <laughs> that's their name if they're like a celebrity yeah. couple just Paula um, Paul and Carla are still together but Paul is getting noticeably bored and Carla is getting more and more desperate to keep him. Right. So when he basically says to her that he is really, really into 15-year-old Tammy Hamoka, so that would be Carla's baby sister who happens to still be a virgin, Carla agrees to help him have Tammy. <sighs> Yeah, it's gross. So they um, they first attempt to drug and rape Tammy during a summer a family trip in the summer of July, where they lace her spaghetti. So they have like a family dinner. They lace her spaghetti with Valium. She passes out, but about a minute into the assault of of Paul on Tammy, she starts to kind of wake up. So he's forced to stop what he's doing, and they kind of have to back off. Oh, that poor kid. It just. It's this whole concept to me, this part, the whole story is so upsetting. This specific element, this yeah. specific deed is beyond comprehension. Yeah. I don't think there is a person in the world that could, could explain, like could make sense of this. Yeah. Unless um, she was like completely brainwashed or maybe she's just, I just a, don't an even, evil person. I mean, I think I it's mean, gotta be a combination of both. So, um, so that was a failed attempt Somewhere in the interim, Paul and Carla get engaged. Because, yeah. you know, why not? <laughs> um, but after, even after they're engaged, he continues to become more and more obsessed with Tammy. And so Carla decides that she's so excited they're going to get married. And she loves him so much. And she's willing to do anything for him. So she's decided that this year, her Christmas gift to Paul will be Tammy. And she's going to plan it out so that it can't go wrong this time. So on December 23rd, following um, Christmas dinner at the Hamoka's home, after her parents and um, her other sister, Lori, um, go to bed, Paul and Carla invite Tammy to stay up with them and have some champagne and some drinks. And so she agrees. She's 15, you know, and she's yeah. like, these, and th- these are fun, cool kids. They're yeah. always talked about how attractive they were, very charismatic, very charming. Right. So Tammy, and also it's her sister and yeah. her sister's fiance. And she trusts them. Who, and she trusts them 100%. So um, she's like, yes, I would love to stay up and have some champagne with you. But what she doesn't know is that Carla had spiked her drinks with sleeping pills. And after a, f- a few glasses, Tammy passes out and they take her down into the basement. Paul then pulls out a video camera and Carla soaks a rag with halothane, which is basically an animal anesthetic that she had stolen from her job. So halothane is used to basically put animals under during surgery. Oh. So that's what this is. So she soaks a rag with this stuff and holds it over Tammy's um, nose and mouth to ensure that she doesn't wake up this time. Yeah. And um, then the two of them videotape themselves raping Tammy. Both of them. And that's, yeah, and I put sidebar, both of them raping her, not just Paul. They yeah. took turns, and um, it's just truly, like, 
upsetting. I just can't wrap my brain around it. Uh, And they do say that in the tapes, it's very clear that Paul is the director, but but Carla is a super willing, enthusiastic participant. So this is already the worst thing I've ever heard in my life, but things basically go from the most horrifying to even worse when Tammy starts to vomit, but she's completely unconscious. And so then she starts to choke on her own vomit. And they actually do everything they can to try to revive her. They're doing like the Heimlich. They're turning her over, trying to get everything out of her. But she basically chokes and dies on her own vomit. And so they basically clean up all the evidence of the, uh, the, the rape. They redress her. They move her into their bedroom. They get everything as clean up as they can before they call 911. And then when the paramedics get there, Tammy is pronounced dead. And even though this is the part that I just don't get. So, okay, I get it. They moved her. Obviously, it's not one's assumption that one's sister and brother-in-law almost would be sexually assaulting her. But there is a noticeable chemical burn on her face because of the rag they'd been holding over her. And um, I don't know. Just do some testing. They basically, they never do any kind of talk screen, even though the death is ruled an accidental like asphyxiation as a result of alcohol poisoning, then you should have done a talk screen to see yeah. just how intoxicated she was. And then they would have found that like stuff in all her. of the stuff in her system. So it's just, anyway, get your shit together, police. Yeah. So her death is ruled an accident. And um, those two cycles are those continuing two, on. Those two get away with it. And... Um, it's just so fucked up. One of the things, too, that's like sidebar that I didn't write in here that I read that really upset me was they when they did finally, all these years later, exhume her body, the couple had like put a photo of the two of them in her coffin before they oh buried her. God. And like just, they were sadistic, evil people. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And here's another example of that. So shortly after the death of Tammy, Carla and Paul do move out of her parents' home into a small carriage house in Port, I don't know how to say this, Port Dollhouse, Dollhousey. It's spelled D-A-L-H-O-U-S-I-E. So Port Dalhousie, let's say that. And (laughs) please, please correct me. (laughs) Send me a message. Um, Where it is discovered years later um, that in the immediate aftermath out of this, they had made several sex tapes of just the two of them where Carla was wearing Tammy's school uniform and playing the role of her younger sister. Yeah. yeah that's take a break so they these people it's just the worst thing ever okay so that was christmas time now it's june 7th of 1991 we're just a few weeks about three weeks away from the upcoming wedding of carla and paul and on june 7th of 91 carla calls paul and tells him to come home right away because she has an early wedding gift waiting for him When he arrives home, he finds a young woman who was called Jane Doe in all of the court um, court proceedings because she she survived and she was underage. And so to protect her identity, she was referred to as Jane Doe. And that's what I will refer to her as. Right. So um, when he gets home, he finds a young woman, Jane, passed out in his bedroom. And Carla basically says, I got you a wedding present. 
Um, Jane was a young girl who started working at the veterinary clinic with Carla and who idolized her and thought she was super cool and befriended her. So Carla invited her over and then basically laced her drink with Halcyon so that she could gift him, gift her to Paul. And what's so crazy about this is so they videotaped themselves, as they do, raping Jane Doe that whole evening. And then the next day, Jane will wake up and go on her way back home feeling really nauseous and sore but thinking but having no idea what happened to her and she was young she was like 15 so she thought maybe this is just what a hangover feels like oh god so she has no idea what happened to her so that's just the fucking disgusting and horrible and um it's also something that is talked about as something that they did often so this girl was brought back over a handful of times also uh tammy the younger sister tammy's friends they would invite them over and do basically the same thing and these girls would have no memory of it um and so that was kind of like their way of getting away with it so on june 15th a mere two weeks before their wedding paul took a detour to the town of burlington to steal license plates because remember he's not an accountant anymore he's a smuggler so he needs new license plates for every time he goes across the border when he stumbles upon 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey who had been locked out of her house as punishment for missing curfew. And that just breaks my heart for her family because I get it. She was kind of like a... She was a good kid, but she was, you know, starting to push push boundaries. She was supposed to be home at two. She didn't come home. And so as punishment, they're like, you're locked out. I will never do anything like that to my kids. It just breaks my heart because... Yeah, it just... or well, there's I guess maybe or maybe she forgot her key. Let's say that. What yeah, I, think, I, what, I mean, I think she they locked her out. I, think I read it was that too. Punishment. But yeah. um, so basically he kind of run runs into her as she's like walking around her house trying to figure out how to get in. Um, hold on, lost my place. Okay, so Leslie sees Paul. He's smoking. She's like, Hey, can I bum a cigarette? And he's like, Sure. Hands her a cigarette and then basically pulls a knife on her, forces her into his car where he blindfolds her and then um, drives her to his and Carla's home in Port Deleuze. I have no idea how to say it. Sure, I like that. Um, Telling Carla when he comes home that they have a new playmate. So then the two of them, again, film themselves torturing, beating, and raping Leslie. And then when her blindfold at some point slips off and she sees them, they decide that they're going to have to kill her. Oh, my God. So they sedate her and strangle her. But they just have to go ahead and put her body in the basement because Carla's parents are about to be over for dinner. And all of this, like, conversation, that's all part of these videotapes. So just remember that. So they do this thing, and then basically on the video they say Carla is like, okay, well, you're going to have to just put her in the basement. I have to go do my hair because her parents are coming over. So they basically then have dinner with their parents – Upstairs, where there is a dead 14-year-old girl in their basement. Oh, my God. It's just like a complete lack of empathy. It's like there's – they're just, in my brain, like just psychopaths. Yeah. There's no other word for it. It's like hard for me even to make jokes about any of this. I know. It's not not funny. It's so upsetting. Okay, so they have dinner. And then basically the following day, to just add insult – to make it worse – They decide that the best way to get rid of her body is they dismember her and then they um, get and mix cement and basically pour cement into boxes with her lit where like parts of her body are so that they're sealing her in these cement blocks. Then they take those blocks 
and they attempt to throw them into Lake Gibson, which... Um, Wait, but I thought she lived. No. They, they oh, literally... Dis- this is No, no, not Jane Doe. This oh. is Leslie. Oh, sorry, Leslie thank Mojave. You. This is the girl that got locked out oh. after curfew. Oh, God. That's right. Okay. So, um, so they, then they throw those concrete blocks into Lake Gibson. So now it's June 29th, a.k.a. the wedding day, but also a.k.a. the day the remains of Leslie Mahaffey are discovered by our fisherman and his son, and subsequently the police department. So basically, over here, Paul and Carla are getting married, and it's like a huge, expensive, crazy fucking wedding. I'm pretty sure here's what I wrote about it. Sidebar, Paul and Carla's wedding is like a 90s Disney princess dream bomb exploded all over Niagara on the lake. There's a horse and carriage, they're all wearing the huge dresses with the big puffy sleeves. Yeah. It's, and it's like an over-the-top, very expensive, ridiculous wedding. But they're also now over here at Lake Gibson. A discovery of young Leslie is, is ongoing. So they've discovered the first block. They eventually uncover the rest of them. And through dental um, records. records, they're able to identify her as... Leslie Mahaffey, who was a 14-year-old who had gone missing oh, two that weeks makes earlier. Me so sad for the family. I know. It's just this, it's so sad. Okay. So now evil Ken and Barbie are married and settling into married life when they inside they decide to invite Jane Doe over again. So this is August. They got married in June. Yeah. And much like with Tammy, after spiking her drinks, Jane stops breathing while in the middle of the two of them filming themselves doing what they like to do to her. But this time they are able to revive her and, um, like, get her back to breathing so they don't actually have to call the cops. But things start to get really tense, basically, around this time. Because Paul is is pissed off because he has been a successful, in his mind, rapist for years now. But it's only since Carla entered the, the picture in the games, so to speak, that girls started dying. So he basically says, I never killed anyone before you. You messed up your sister's medication on purpose. And for the death of Leslie, he says, her blindfold didn't fall off. You pulled it off so that we would have no choice but to kill her. <clears throat> and so there, things are not great between the couple. Uh-oh. But eventually, you know, there are two peas in a fucking pod. So yeah. they kind of patch everything up and they decide it's time to find their next playmate. Okay, wait. So I don't know if you got this information, but the only other thing that I was researching that I was like, I could talk <clears throat> about this. this is kind of funny. Okay, yeah, bring in the funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's it's not funny. It's not funny. It's just like, wow, these people are deranged. So they take, so they're feeling good, right? They're feeling like whatever. They're in a, I can't remember at what point this was, but they take the disturbing step to show their devotion to the crimes they're doing and change their last name to Teal after the rapist and murderer Martin Teal from the movie Criminal Law, which I don't know that yeah, movie. Yeah, I do, in fact, have that written down in here somewhere. Oh, my God. And then Paul changes his middle name to Jason after <gasps> the Friday the 13th killer. Oh, and, and it's, it's Friday, Friday the 13th. 13th. So, but yeah, this, just this, that is a perfect example of how deranged they, they, they were. They're just so deranged to think they can't get can't get caught for anything. Right. Well, I mean, because I guess, they're getting away with it. Right. And that's I think that's what's so frustrating is, of course, after he is interviewed by the police, a composite sketch exists. It's basically a photograph of him. And um, he's given them his his biological samples, hair, you know, saliva, all right, of it. So and like, nothing's happened. Yeah. So as far as he's concerned, 
they can't catch him. Right. He is untouchable. And they do talk about rapists don't think they're rapists. I mean, right. you know, he I obviously mean, knew what he was doing, but there are in some cases where people rape and then they go try to get medical or like help therapy help. And there's not a lot of help for those people out there. Right. Chemical castration. Yeah. Well, you know. I mean, that's extreme, <laughs> but you know, if, if, if you don't know how to not that's true. Uh, rape someone, then maybe that is your if best course. A, if you don't want to anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I did actually have that in here somewhere. I just thought that um, was a fun fact. But it fact. is, uh, thank you. Fun facts are good. Yeah. Okay. So, where are we? Oh, so on April 16th of 1992, in broad daylight, like 11 o'clock in the morning, the couple of, abdu- or not 11 o'clock, sorry, it's afternoon, it's after school. Um, the couple abducts 15 year old Kristen French from a church parking lot. Kristen had been walking home from school when Carla, who was looking at a map, waved her down and said, Can you? help me with directions were lost. So while she's helping Carla look over the map, Paul gets out of the car, grabs Kristen, throws her in the back seat where Carla slides in next to her and holds her head down so that no one can see them as they're driving away. But unfortunately, um, it was right after school in like a suburban area and there were several eyewitnesses to this abduction. Um, and so the per- police start to pursue all of the leads. Oh. One of them was that it was a cream-colored cam- a El Camino and they have billboards up. But as we know, eyewitness testimony is often is inaccurate because, in fact, they were driving a gold Nissan. So they are looking oh. for the wrong car. They do say that she was talking to two people, so they know that there's a possibility that they're looking for two perpetrators. Gotcha. But nobody has any real details about the two other than there were two people and it was a cream-colored El Camino or a Camaro or something. And it, that's an inaccurate. So it's a false lead, which doesn't help their case. Yeah. Um, so... Um, police start to pursue all leads. There's an immediate, the minute she doesn't get home from school, she was like a very, you know, good kid. And they knew, her parents knew immediately. Something She had up. like responsibilities that had to do with like her pet dog at home and stuff and that she would never have just not come home. Yeah. So um, basically while the cops are now trying to find Kristen, uh, our crazy fucking couple is uh, torturing beating and raping Kristen and they keep her for three days and then they strangle her they completely wash off the her body to get rid of any evidence and then they cut off her hair as a means of hoping that if she doesn't have the same hair the cops won't immediately be able to identify her um and they ditch her body or they dump her body in a ditch not far from the Burlington Cemetery where Leslie Mahaffey their 14 year old victim was buried Okay, so people are actually starting, the cops are now starting to kind of connect the Kristen French murder with the Leslie Mahaffey murder, simply because um, one of them was from Burlington but dumped in St. Catharines, and one of them was from St. Catharines and dumped in Burlington. So there's like this geographical crossover. They're also both young. They, um, you know, they weren't found for several weeks even though, like, the motive of, of how they were, because obviously Leslie was completely dismembered and put in cement blocks and thrown right. in a lake, and Kristen was just, like, thrown into a ditch. But um, the police are, like, now kind of putting together that it is um, maybe, maybe the, the same, same people. Yeah, people. In fact, a month after Kristen French is murdered, was murdered, Bernardo is actually questioned by police again. And even though in this interview he admits to having been questioned previously in the Scarborough rape um, 
case, they basically dismiss him again as an unlikely suspect and they move on. And shortly after that is when the couple petitions to have their last name changed. Oh, that's when it is. So it's basically, oh, right. yeah. I knew it was after like when, when they got away from the cops. Right. Again. So basically they got away with it and I'm sure they're kind of, they're getting nervous though. This is the second time now he's been questioned by the police. Like yeah. how many times is the same guy going to get brought in for shit before they maybe take it seriously? Are yeah. you listening Police. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I know you guys were doing all you could. Okay, but things are no longer really good between the two. Like okay. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I said, he is. So he's, he's her king. She calls him her king. Her king, right? Still... But basically, like crazy can and bonkers Barbie are like at each other <laughs> all the time because he is just like they. I never killed anyone, and now they are starting to put it together that like the same person killed these people. Like we're gonna get caught, and he starts to get really, really violent with. Carla, Uh and in December of 92, he beats her so badly that she has a broken rib, bruises everywhere, and two of, there are photos all over the internet of this photo, two of the worst black eyes you have ever seen. So when she is unable to hide these injuries from her coworkers, they immediately call her parents, who then convince her that she needs to go to the hospital. And um, so she goes to the hospital, the cops show up, she basically claims, you know, or she tells them that her husband beat her and she files charges against Paul, who is briefly arrested for domestic violence. By sheer coincidence, at this time, so as, as she's leaving him, he's being looked into for domestic violence, um, his DNA samples that he'd given over two years ago are finally tested and... Paul Bernardo is positively identified as the Scarborough I rapist. mean, what do you think? The police were like, finally, they're like, they have his name because she came in for a domestic report. And she, they're like, hey, you know, I think I got that guy's sperm in the freezer. Right. No, no, they say, they say this is just complete coincidence. Like, oh. they basically had hundreds of samples, and it, it took much longer back then. Right, But okay. basically, somehow, at randomly, at the same time, that things are really falling apart between Carla and Paul. Oh. He's even now being arrested for domestic violence. They finally get to his sample, and bing, bang, boom. Okay. Oh, it's him. We have this Scarborough rapist. So... After he is publicly identified as a Scarborough rapist, Carla is like, shit, shit, shit. Like, they're going to figure out, because if they've got his DNA for that, they're going to find his DNA on the girls. And so she basically goes, gets herself a good lawyer and is, and and says, I want full immunity from prosecution because I can tell you everything. And I can tell you that, you know, not only was he the Scarborough rapist, but he also murdered Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. And basically they were like, mm, we can't give you immunity. Right. Because you you knew about it, which at the very least means you like obstructed justice exactly. and covered up and you helped, you know, you covered up a crime after the fact. So you're an accomplice. But she's basically offered what most to this day in Canada reveal to as like the deal of a lifetime, a deal with the devil. Right. She is offered a 12-year prison sentence for manslaughter. Or she will be taken to trial. If she cooperates, she'll get 12 years. Um, Or if she won't cooperate and give them the information, she will face murder charges for three murders because at the same time that all of this stuff is finally coming out, the death of her sister Tammy, that case is reopened because now they no longer think that it was an accident based on the information that they're getting. So Carla takes the deal and um, tells them, you know, there are tapes and she has testimony. And in 1995, Paul Bernardo is, or sorry, where are we? That's when he's, that's when he's sentenced. So basically he's arrested. The police search their home. They cannot find the tapes anywhere. And Carla. Do you think she knew that? 
I don't know if she knew that. Apparently, because I mean, what an idiot to be like, look at the tapes, because it shows how guilty she well, is. Well, I mean, and I think maybe that's like one of the things that pissed everybody off. So the yeah. tapes are not found when they take Carla in for her private. It's not public. No one covers it on purpose because they don't want to cha- taint the jury pool gotcha. for his trial. But so she gets this deal. It's done privately and in secret. And these tapes hadn't been found yet. Right. So basically, this police search, they even say that they did look in the spot. He had them hid like up in a light fixture. Mm-hmm. And the police even like reached in, but just didn't reach far I enough mean, in. I mean, It's just so frustrating. So basically, his um, lawyer at the time yeah. does find the tapes. And his lawyer. His lawyer, not her lawyer. His lawyer. And holds on to them and then basically at some point does realize what's on them and is like oh fuck and gives them over to the prosecution but at this point the deal's been made and um this guy is basically charged with obstruction of justice i think he's disbarred so that's all of this kind of thing holds up the paul bernardo trial for two years before he's finally taken to trial and um, is he sitting in jail while he's yes okay good yes he's sitting in jail um but basically when he goes to trial in 95, the tapes are played for the jury. Oh all of them. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. And even though they they won't allow anyone in the gallery to see the tapes, so they, like, turn the screen so only the juries can see yeah. them. But everyone could hear them. And they're so horrific. And basically, Carla is in there also as, like, their main witness. But this is when everybody realizes Jeez. that she is not a victim, that she was his partner in and I mean they see it all everything from what she did to her own sister to what they did to those other two girls plus all the other perverted stuff that they did you know to girls that they didn't kill right and with each other like dressing up like her sister so this is why it's not only one of the worst crimes in Canadian history but it's also in some people's minds, one of the worst miscarriages of justice in the case of Carla Homolka, because people can fall on two sides. Like she was basically like somehow brainwashed and terrified because we do know he beat, he did beat her. Right. Um, so she just was like Stockholm syndrome, like went along with it, did what she had to do. She had that journal or she was just as much of a deranged psychopath as he was and was just got the deal of a lifetime was smart enough I and I fall, it. I fall on that side. I mean, it's a little bit of both, right? Like maybe it started out with her being controlled by him, but right. But then she was, she, she was just bringing home in. gifts for him. Yeah. She gifted her. That's what she called her, his Christmas present, you know, and like yeah. an early wedding gift. And they would go out looking for girls together. Yeah, off, like uh, awful. She's Awfulness. a terrible, horrible person. Garbage people. And so basically, just to make a, a horrific story, just. Even <laughs> she basically serves her 12 years. She is released oh. from prison in uh, 2005. She comes out of prison. She obviously does not go back to her hometown. She moves to Montreal where people finally figure out that's where she is. They start hounding her. You yeah. know, people because do not like this woman with good reason. Yeah. So eventually she flees to like the Caribbean where she lives with her husband and three kids to this day. Oh, really? On a, Cari- a Caribbean island. And that's how her story ended. And this is just, to me, one of the most, I just can't even. It's so I feel like I'm going to have wrinkles because I'm just in a face of disgust for the last hour. It's just like. So that is the, like, really, truly 
unthinkable horror story. Yeah, I'm actually nauseous. Oh, you know, maybe we should have told people not to eat while they're listening to this. Because <laughs> <laughs> for one of our other other podcasts, I think it was the other Bundy. Right. <laughs> we had a listener uh, DM us and say, I lost my lunch, but yeah. it was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. We're so sorry if we made anybody lose vomit. your lunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it really, yeah, this is one of those yucky ones. Yeah. It's so, it's just and you know, so it is, It's also, it's like the, the, the idea, and this happens a lot with, people who are deceiving where they look they look pretty yes. or they look nice and you you just trust that if somebody yeah. looks nice there is it's so it's fascinating that you say that cuz i was listening to um one of the super soul like oprah super soul conversation Letter. podcast that she yeah. was having with malcolm gladwell oh yeah about his book talking to strangers uh-huh. which is all about how the way we see people we don't know and the some the often very dangerous assumptions we make we make based on just what we see, right? Um, I think applies so much to this because yeah. they were young, attractive, successful, right? Beautiful people. People just they couldn't wrap their brains around. Even the police were just like, couldn't yeah. be that guy, you know? Like he's he's not the he's not the type, right? And so they got away with this because they didn't look. Yeah, but people are but the police are smarter now. I mean, like, don't they have like? Yes, because of this case, actually. Canada had to kind of reform a lot of the communications between departments. Because, you know, Canada is huge. That's true. And so much of it is remote, right? And yeah. so they didn't really have a way for the Scarborough Police Department to be communicating with the um, St. Catherine Police Department or the Port Dalhouse. I don't <laughs> right, know. Right, right, that, right. You know, and so after this case, actually, that was when they started to put implement like a way for all of yeah. these departments to communicate with each other so i guess at least well, that came that's out of a it silver lining look at you finding the happiness and like well, well you know, a little I, bit of a, a silver lining a, a slight improvement in police technique <sighs> well, well i guess we'll take it yeah but yeah thanks for listening guys this one was a tough one yeah we'll come back i was like say something funny vanya be a happy ending i know um it's Friday the 13th? It's Friday no. the 13th. Uh, let's see. What's the happy... Have you seen anything fun or any fun stories about the holidays or... I mean, I've been binging on Netflix um, holiday movies. Like, they, oh, yeah, there's they a, a ton that just came out and it's all like romantic comedy. Hol- like, Holiday Rush is a fun one that I just watched. Holiday Rush? I'll totally watch um, it. I, I want to watch the one like the night before Christna- Christmas and that's like Night K-N-I-G-H-T. Oh. <laughs> I think it's about a, a, a night... Netflix is horning like, in on... Uh, Hallmark oh, Channel, big I mean, time. Exactly, that's kind of the. But I'm into it. I did watch one that was just all right. It was something, Kristen. I can't remember her name, but from Sex and the City, and she goes oh, to Africa. Oh, is it with the elephants? I've yeah. seen the trailer because okay, I love the elephants. elephants. Are amazing. They're great, but the whole movie was just all right. I right. was like, okay, guys. It looked very just... like early '90s Lifetime movie, but it then was. I, but then they kept showing the baby elephants, and I was like, I might the, have to watch that. That's the best part. Yeah. There's this like um, refuge in Africa that is incredible, it's like a, and I like think an it's a real place. Orphanage, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think the whole thing is I mean, based on. I a actually, true story. I had, I cried a little. I oh, mean, it yeah. was it was really good, but, but the, good happy. But tears, the story, right? I'm like, give me give me a little more story, right. like just know. bump up. Bump it up. The emotional arc of the characters. But we, exactly. well, let's end with baby elephants, though. Oh, save the elephants. Watch some baby elephant yeah. videos. Oh, my God. They're so cute. They're so cute. Did you know that elephants celebrate? There's only, like, it's humans celebrate, elephants celebrate, and uh, I think gorillas, uh, chimpanzees celebrate, too, as a community. Really? Yeah. So, they're, they, I mean, 
they they know this because they've studied. They've seen it. Yeah, and they're they've like, watched, well, everybody, <laughs> yeah. That actually makes me so happy. So yeah. let's all now end this episode by thinking about elephants celebrating. Yeah, And that is so much... <laughs> That was my Thank you, Vanya. impression. Thank you for that. That, that helps a little bit. Business corner. Oh, yeah. So um, if you like us, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, please. Also, let's hang out on Twitter yeah. and Facebook and Instagram. Send us emails. Yep. Um, romcrimepodcast at Gmail. We have like a pretty, I think, nice website now. Oh, yeah. Romcrime.com. Where you can basically find everything I just mentioned on that in website one in one spot and we're working on doing some more uh, Instagram stories so you guys can see our little faces and yeah. the shenanig- shenanigans we get up to yes maybe I'll take a, like a boomerang of me and my Canadian tuxedo for oh my god please do. please do <laughs> alright you guys thanks for listening thank you so much bye